This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Sungai Buloh Settlement. If you're into plants, you would probably know Sungai Buloh as a place full of nurseries, places for you to state your horticultural needs. But prior to becoming more well-known for that in recent times, Sungai Buloh used to play a very pivotal role in hosting a leprosy centre for Malaysians who were suffering from the disease. Our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, joins us to share the history of the settlement. You know, I think we'll just sort of um, hone in on the the Sungai Buloh Leprosarium. You know, it, it's I think now called the National Leprosy Control Centre, and it is in a valley in Selangor, about 25 or so kilometers, 20-25 kilometers out of the city centre. It is in the valley of this place called Bukit Lagong uh, in Selangor. So I'm only really going to focus on on the former um, leprosarium, which is where not right now, when you say the Sungai Buloh Hospital is located, but it was, let's say, it was way out of the city, right? I mean, it was like really like, I mean, imagine in the 1920s, it was like in the boondocks. Right now, you know, it's so well connected by highways and by, you know, train. LRT, MRTs and things like that. So you ha- kind of have to bring yourself back, you know, 90 years and, and think about it. 90 years ago, there was really very little out there in terms of human settlement. It was a situation where leprosy was affecting a lot of the population. And, and leprosy was a very, like, junket disease, now, you know, it, it would affect lots and lots of people and it was very transmittable, right? And people were afraid of it because there were a lot of physical um, signs because leprosy kind of like ate your flesh, I suppose, in, in, uh, in layman's terms. And so you might lose digits of your, your hands and feet. And, you know, you might lose parts of your, your, your facial features or whatever. And it would be, it was a really debilitating disease. And it was quite prevalent. And because it was so easily spread and people didn't really understand it the general population was very afraid of it and so up to you know the early 20th century people were suffering from leprosy were kind of like put away almost in concentration type camps i mean they were put in facilities to help them medical facilities to help them but they were like almost incarcerated you know like high walls, you can't get out. Once you're inside there, you'll never escape. Kind of like incarceration in a prison. And that was the way people suffering from leprosy were being treated. But they were ordinary people and they were really, they were not criminals and they were not, you know, so there was so there was this um, little bit of, how do I say, actually a massive amount of disconnect between people and the way they were being treated in terms of incarceration from the rest of society because society wanted to protect itself, right? You don't want the disease to spread. So you move someone suffering from leprosy into something that almost is like a prison center. And um, 
there was this man, he, he, his name was Dr. Travis. And if you know, in KL, we have Jalan Travis, right? Same name, same man. He was, I think, um, the medical officer in Selangor. And he, he was responsible at some point for um, looking after people who were suffering from leprosy. And he thought that it's just, this is just not online. I mean, you can't keep treating human beings like, you know, and shoving them away and kind of almost ignoring them and treating them, you know, and, and almost imprisoning them. So, and, and he thought that it would be really, so it was kind of like almost an experiment, meaning, you know, to bring them out and to give them a quality of life where they could be looked after medically, but they could also, you know, have really a, a, a living environment, you know, where they could interact with others and they could find some dignity. I think the word here really is he, he was looking at how to help people suffering from leprosy, which was not their fault, find a way to give them some dignity. So lo and behold, he kind of like decided if they were to be put out in a place rather than incarcerated, where they had fresh air, where they had nature around them, it would enable the healing process, not just, you know, because of there was no cure at that time for leprosy, you know, not just from that, but really mentally and spiritually to give them, you know, some joy and some quality of life from a disease that at that point nobody could see as being able to escape from. So there was this area outside of, way outside of the city, in this valley, that really had really very nice conditions and nobody was using it. So he applied for and got permission to build this leprosy centre. And in a lot of ways, it became the model for the liberation of people suffering from leprosy. Uh, because everywhere else around the world, Everybody else who was also suffering from leprosy, no matter which country you were in, were incarcerated. And when he provided, you know, when he worked to develop this facility, which was kind of like a garden setting, I mean, because it was all in the nature, you know, there were water and birds and plants around, but it was, you were kept within a settlement and the settlement was surrounded, but, you know, was fenced in. So... When you were inside, you could um, move around very freely, you know, if you were not as sick as, as an, and unable to move. But, you know, you could live a life which was, you know, and have a quality of life. Uh, but people from the outside uh, couldn't come in. So, so both sides, while, you know, were protected from each other because the disease was, was contagious, right? So this was a measure that was put into place. So it, he was an incredibly, I think, not just wise, but extremely compassionate man to have actually wanted to go through, you know, fight the system, you know? Because the system was this very easy, right? You build a prison-like facility, you put a group of people in there, and then, you know, whoever the health authorities needing to look after them, look after them, and the rest of the world goes on in its own way, right? But he created a settlement, and in the settlement, it was built in stages from the 19, late 1920s into the 1930s. 
And it became the example. It became where actually people from around the world came to look at and to learn from. And then that became to change the conditions worldwide. So it really was a global leader and just started in Malaya. You know, sometimes we forget these things about our past, you know, that, that even in the 1920s, we were a global leader. I, and I think that that is something that would be really key to trying to understand or to appreciate, I think, our historical past. So despite something being really so debilitating, despite a disease that was frightening to people, to the general public, people who didn't understand it, and even people who had it, it was like if you contracted leprosy, it was a death sentence. Essentially, that was it. You would be incarcerated. You would never see your family. You would never. So he created an environment where people who were not that far down the road, so to speak, could still have their families. Their families would be protected. There would be ways of making sure that the, you know, nowadays there are lots of SOPs, right, that we are so familiar with. You know, wash your hands, uh, wear masks, you know. So they would have had a bunch of SOPs for people who were not suffering from less leprosy, but who were part of the family uh, group. So your, your family group could be with you. You could get married, you could have children, and you could live together and not be separated from them. And within the settlement that he built or that he envisaged and, and that was constructed, you know, they kind of had their, they were their own little country. They had their own schools, they had their own hospitals, they had their own religious facilities, they had their own post office, and they even had their own currency. They even had their own money. Uh, they had their own grocery shops, you know. <laughs> they, they had pretty much everything that would make their lives normal, that would normalize things, like they would be living in a normal outside of the settlement village or, or, or small township. But because they were suffering from leprosy, they had to remain within the boundaries of, of that place. So it, it was quite a, a huge area, covered, you know, several hundred acres and had, again, several hundred buildings, a lot of whom, which were houses and residential. And you see the remnants of that still, when you go to what you mentioned earlier was the, what do you call it, you know, where, the, where, where you buy the nurseries. You know, there are little houses there, and those would have been houses uh, for families. They had the Sungai Bulo, the hospital, and the old hospital wards, uh, some of which are still present. And so to, if you go there, you kind of don't under, if, you know, like nowadays we think of, ah, yeah, leprosy, nobody thinks about it as a disease that is so, because there's a cure for it, you know. I mean, there, there, is, there is medication, there is, which you can take uh, that will help you overcome and kill the bacteria, okay. So I suppose developed into what eventually was the largest uh, leprosorium uh, in the empire, in the British Empire, uh, there were, I think, larger leprosoriums outside of the British Empire. There was a huge one in the Philippines, uh, in Brazil, in Japan. And, and actually, in the early 2000s, when there was a proposal to 
convert and to remove it, all evidence of the original uh, colony, of the original settlement, the, there was a big protest. And so this whole notion of this, you know, this, this thing, oh, Sungai Bulo, you know, uh, the Valley of Hope, was a pushback that came out of the community for whom it was a very, very important part of their history and their lives and their memory because inspired and led by people who at some point or other either had family members or were, you know, grew up in and around for various reasons this particular settlement. And they felt it was very important not to forget its past, not for it to get lost in the in the memory or in the recesses of history because it was significant. It significantly changed the way the world approached the treatment of people who were suffering from leprosy. And I think that that is such a powerful story, really. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, sharing a brief history of the leprosy centre in Sungai Bulo and how it came to be. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me this week is our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, and we've been talking about the Sungai Bulo Leprosarium and its impact on our community back then. Let's continue that conversation. Um, were there any bad perception towards the settlement back then? Uh, yes, yes, I mean. Obviously, leprosy patients were ostracized, right? Ayo, you know, you have to stay away. You have to stay away from them. They were segregated from the general public. And before the Surabulo Center was um, established, they were really in prison-like environments. So you don't want the disease to spread, but you treat anyone suffering from uh, leprosy, a patient suffering from leprosy as kind of like really in a very inhumane manner. It wasn't their fault. They didn't go out and say, give me leprosy. You know, you don't go and seek it, you know. So Dr. Travers, he really instituted this reform. It was really, it was an enlightened policy to look at reform for people suffering from this blighted disease. And really, it was to... So the model that he created was one which was, um, you know, humane, which was one which elevated and allowed a community to have a self-respect, to be self-supporting, which is... The nurseries was exactly part of that. You know, what could they do? They could garden, they could, you know... And so they created a situation where they could have some form of trade. Now, obviously, you know, the question of how do you interact with, how do you sell, there had to be SOPs in place, lah, right? Who can come in, you know? Anybody who was at the point infect, 
infectious you are not allowed to have contact with if you come in from the outside because you know again you know you would have to really make sure that you including the medical staff had to be protected they had to be protected against contracting the disease but it really became like i said it became a model but there is still this this i think even today we can say if you say leprosy then everybody will get this idea of you know what from the movies you know wearing white robes you know ringing a bell and saying you know you know unclean unclean you know kind of a bit game of thrones ish you know but uh, you know you you kind of have this 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 notion yeah that it was and it was your fault you know if you contracted leprosy well, well it wasn't you see and that that really was what in some ways i think that as human kind we don't quite get away from sometimes but we need to we really need to you know appreciate and to understand human dignity and this center established the pathway to giving these victims dignity and a quality of life which they really didn't have and that was what made it so you know incredibly i mean it is an incredible story i tell you yeah so so it sort of like evolved the place sort of like evolved to being uh, a settlement that's uh, more humane and to a certain extent yeah. even more dignified right for the community so it has all the facilities to make it more homely for the people there right it's not yeah. just a hospital right yes it wasn't just uh, a hospital no there were social facilities there were social and modern medical facilities you know uh, it was multi cultural and multi religious in the settlement you've got your mosque your chinese temple your hindu temple your church your cemetery is mixed you can see from the evidence of the gravestones that it's mixed you had celebrations which you know you had different associations like clan association like you know like ethnic group like hakka hokkien association you know that kind of thing you had schools where of course it was you know within our education system but you had the kids you know from the families who maybe one member of the family was a leprosy victim you know was suffering from leprosy um the whole family could go and live uh, there with them and so the children you know had to be educated somehow and they couldn't go out because remember the settlement was was quite enclosed in that sense so imagine it was like you know it was on its own island lah it was in its own valley and uh there would be a big you know buffer between that valley and the rest of the world of course people could come in and out but again uh you know nowadays we understand strict sops but once you're inside there you would live independently you would be able to undergo your treatment and your families would be able to make a living and be able to be educated and be able you'd be able to carry out your religious obligations your community festivals so it helped people i suppose it encouraged people who were suffering from leprosy instead of going and hiding and then junket more people you know others right uh, to come and enroll in this program voluntarily so it 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 really was a mindset it was a game changer in that way because you know prior to that it was just it was just not on right i mean if you suffered from leprosy like i said you 
ended up, you know, incarcerated and forgotten. You know, there was no quality of life and there was no dignity. So Travis was, was really quite, I must say, an, an incredible man. And after it was set up, people began to notice it, you know, in the 1930s. Internationally, it became recognized and very much praised and set the benchmark for other centers and, you know, for, for other countries to change their practices, which were the same as Malaya had before, which was to incarcerate everybody kind of like in a prison, you know, and to provide, I think, a facility which was more open, independent, within very strict, strict constraints. So people lived, patients lived naturally. They participated in, you know, their own daily life activities and it really was about providing, I suppose, a form of social reform, which we don't think about, oh, 1930s, we think, you know, we don't think about it that way. But really, I think, I think that we could, we could liken it to, you know, really quite incredible social reform of its time. Hmm. How did the place evolve then from, I guess, being a settlement to now? Is, is the place still active and... Well, I think um, part of it, I think it was the, the settlement was in three parts. Uh, two of the parts were more housing, okay? And then there was um, the central part, which was based on kind of the idea of a garden city. You had a very clear zoning. You had your residential areas. You had your hospital kind of areas and you had your administration areas. And then you had you know, social facilities and things like that, clubhouse and whatever, and, and people could. And that central part, that was the one that was in the early 2000s that was still around, that was slated for complete demolition, for it to be rebuilt into a student housing for the medical school at UITM. And I remember at that time when there was, you know, a lot of outcry against its demolition because it had been degazetted from being um, this kind of a medical facility, it would still have a medical bent, right? But because leprosy was no longer the life-threatening, not life-threatening, the you cannot, incurable disease, because it was that, it was, people had forgotten it, its story, the, the story of how it really was a, a wonderful example of um, social change and reform and set the benchmark for the world. So it was really of global importance. And so there was um, different groups of people who started to protest. And I remember going to one meeting where essentially we were asked, I was asked, so why didn't you tell us it was so important? And it kind of like I, I, I kind of said, um, actually, because we didn't figure that you wouldn't know how important it was. Do, do you know what I mean from a global perspective, from a historical perspective? But um, there you are. After a certain amount of negotiations and intervention by the then Minister of Health, the doctors are responsible for the um, National Leprosy Control um, Centre. They were incredible people, as they are incredible people, very dedicated. An agreement was reached and the core of this garden city centre administration was not demolished and was not retained. So the programming of where the 
housing was going to be and things like that, for student housing was going to be, had to be reworked, yeah, nevertheless. But it was important. So part of it does remain, yes. Part of the, the settlement, the new Sungaibulo Hospital was built on there, but the old centre is still very, very evident. And what you see as the, um, the nurseries around, a lot of them are, are still very evident. I think the nurseries have a different set of issues nowadays, but nevertheless, you don't have that many old tenants there anymore, or whatever, residents there anymore, not tenants, residents there anymore, because as families, you know, as older people pass on, um, the places are no longer needed like, in terms of the hospitalization and, and the kind of the care for the patients. But essentially, the patients were able to around their houses, plant their vegetables, plant their what we see now as the horticultural legacy of the place, you know, the nurseries. And that has become very much the identity of the place. And it's still very evident. Not all of it is intact, but there is enough of it for us to be able to tell this story and for you, anyone who has been there to go, oh, yeah, I kind of recognize that. Oh, yeah, I've been to the old hospital, the old, you know, uh, wards. Oh, yeah, I did. you know what I mean? It, it, it's still there very much as part of this evocative um, memory of the site. So, yeah, so how, how should we, uh, you know, sometimes look back at this part of our history that might be slightly unique and different compared to the usual kind of, I guess, heritage history that we're sort of used to? Well, I hope that it helps us reflect a little bit more on ourselves, on how, as a nation, we were looked at and were able to incorporate, you know, our multicultural groups, you know, communities, and live in this. I mean, imagine, you know, you can imagine there will be tensions, right? You have a place which is bounded. You can't go out. So you're kind of like restricted, right? But you, you know, are able to, you, you are, you know, a, a family member. Uh, your, one of your family members is suffering from leprosy. You live there. You know, how do you work? You know, so you become a clerk. You become a gardener, you become a nurse, you become, you know what I mean? You, you, you join the, the administration. So you don't have to hire staff from outside. Basically, other able-bodied or full, fully healthy individuals found jobs there. And I think that what, what we should be looking at is how do we, you know, remember it and reflect upon our Selves as a nation, and and the character of this this place, we need to retain it. So this the story doesn't die. The other the other thing that I wanted to raise was apart from the fact that the center itself and this new way, new approach, yeah, of this providing this kind of a living environment and the quality of life and respect and you know. Again, I go back to, you know, human rights, right, of people uplifting the human condition. It was also a very, very important research centre uh, for the uh, control of um, leprosy and for the cure, curing of leprosy. And uh, the discovery of one of the drugs, the, the first of the drugs which would cure the disease, was from the research centre here at the Sungai Bulo leprosy center so it was you know in the mid 1960s 
when when this drug was first uh, discovered and tested, and it was again, you know, you talk about global leadership, right? And game changing. So number one, you know, when Travis set up the center in the 1930s, that was game changing. When the drug was then discovered and produced and distributed, that was game changing, not just for the center, but for the world. It is for reasons like that, that the, the place in a way should be remembered and highlighted much more than only for its nurseries. And sometimes, you know, we kind of like have to figure out how we do it, lah, right? But that, that I think is something that we really look as a scientific centre, but as a centre that looked at social reform, that, you know, produced a whole way of, a whole approach globally. I think um, it's really kind of like important to remember that story. And I think that that's the kind of lesson that we need to learn, that we are capable of doing it. And that's the approach we should, I think, always take when it comes to situations like this and not to just be afraid and turn into our own little shells and avoid, yeah? Uh, avoidance is good. We should avoid, like with the COVID situation, we should protect ourselves. We should need to protect ourselves, our families, without fighting. But really, you know, the approach is not to shy away from, and not to ignore but to find solutions. And I think that if we remember that about the Singai Bulo um, Leprosy Centre, the former Singai Bulo Leprosy Centre, and we have the physical evidence of it, I think that that's really key. Which brings me to my final point, that uh, there is Malaysia, the government of Malaysia, um, after having gone through the early process of wanting to get rid of it, and then wising up to the fact that actually it was really very important and responding so positively to it, we have submitted the place um, as for the UNESCO World Heritage List. And it's on the tentative list. It was The tentative list is a list which looks at, it expresses the intention of the country to submit it for listing. And it's based on um, what we call outstanding universal values, where uh, one of which is the multicultural living environment, which distinguished the Sungai Pulo Leprosorium from the rest of the world and set, as I said, the benchmark for the rest of the world to, to follow. And then it also, uh, the other outstanding universal value, which is um, expressed in the dossier, is uh, looking at uh, how it is the best testimony for this liberation to have happened uh, because it really changed the whole approach to the treatment of people suffering uh, from leprosy in the world. And finally, looking at the fact that it, it was a land use planning exercise, you know, you create a situation where you have human settlement, medical institution, and the agricultural colony all together in this valley, presenting, I think, the concept of the Valley of Hope where you move in there with a death sentence, but in that process, you are able to live, you know, a full life. And if you are a sufferer from leprosy, even at the end of your time, you could go into one of the wards where you would be looked after in, in the hospital rather than live in your own house, you know. But until such time, you, you lived as any other person would live. So 
this this idea of a full a fully rounded settlement human settlement is part of the the nature of the values of of the place which um we've looked at and then finally um you know looking at human rights again you see it's like you know what does it represent looked at taking this living condition despite the fact that you're segregated but you still have a fulsome and a wholesome living so i think that that's something that malaysia i think wants to promote by putting it on the unesco tentative list i don't know when it's going to go forward uh, for for listing but that's kind of part of the the story of um the leprosy center You've been tuning in to I Love KL and in this episode, our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, shared the story and history of the Sungai Buloh settlement. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Hanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city join us again next week only on bfm 89.9 the business station remember to stay at home if possible practice physical distancing and stay safe thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station